0: Next on our agenda, as we look at a concise guide to primitive godliness, we want to look at faith. Faith is one of the foundation elements of the Christian life, and it is important that we understand how it works, and how to get it, and where it comes from, and we're going to look at that this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for faith. Thank you that we can believe in you even though we don't see you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are the author and finisher of our faith. Father, we desperately need you. We need you to show us how we can collaborate with you, how we can cooperate with you, how we can let you be Almighty God in us this morning. I pray that you will open up our hearts and minds, pray that you will teach us, and I pray that you will make this practical for us. Help us to know how we can apply it in our lives. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name, amen. If God appeared to you in a dream as he did to Solomon, and he granted you one wish, Do you know what your wish would be? It's kind of hard, isn't it? I mean, there's so many good things that we could wish for. It would be a lot easier if God gave me three wishes. If God gave me three wishes, I might ask for love for him and for others, abundant love. I might ask for mountain-moving faith, and I would ask for transformational obedience. But you know what? It turns out that we would actually need only one wish after all, because all three of these things are fruits of the Holy Spirit. These are built-in blessings of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, would my one wish be for the Holy Spirit? Actually, no, because there's something else I need before I could be filled with the Holy Spirit. In order to understand that, I'd like to look a little bit at faith and how faith works, what it is, where it comes from, and then we can understand better how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Too much cannot be said about the importance of faith. The Bible talks about faith as one of the most important aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. The righteous will live by his faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. And many times when people came to him for healing, he would say things like this. He would say, your faith has made you well, or he would say things like, your faith has saved you. And sometimes he even said this very scary thing, it shall be done to you according to your faith. Would you like for it to be done to you according to your faith? That's kind of scary. Through faith, the paralytic was restored to vigor of life. Through faith, a sick woman was able to just touch Christ's garment and be healed. And without faith, tragedies happen. You remember that story about the, the father who brought his, his boy to Jesus, to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he said to Jesus, if you can, please heal my son. Do you remember that? And it was because of his lack of faith that Jesus was, was unable to heal him immediately. And then the man cried out, Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. And God was able to use that prayer to be able to give him the faith so that Jesus could heal him. A lack of faith can be very dangerous. Take, for example, the city of Nazareth. Jesus was not able to do much there because of their lack of faith. They rejected Jesus the Messiah because of their lack of faith. God needs you and I to have faith. Faith unleashes the power of God in us and through us. Faith is the channel through which all of God's blessings come. We have to have this. And lack of faith inhibits God's power in our life. In fact, we are told that every failure on the part of the children of God is due to their lack of faith. Every failure on the part of the children of God is due to their lack of faith. In order to talk about faith, we have to first define it. And of course, the Bible does a wonderful job of that. Faith is a conviction of things not seen and assurance of things hoped for. But in terms of a love relationship with Jesus, faith is simply a trust-based love relationship with Jesus. Faith is more than just a belief. It's more than just a belief in God's power. It's more than just a belief in God's love. It's more than just a belief in salvation. Faith is a love-based trust relationship with Jesus. The demons believe and tremble, but they don't have that love relationship with Jesus. That relationship with Jesus has to be based on trust, a knowledge of His goodness, a trust in His love and power, and a delight in His friendship. So, where does that faith come from? Where do we get that faith? The first thing we need to understand about this question about where does faith come from is that if we're going to get faith, it's going to be because God gives it to us. Period. God is the only source of faith. He is both the author and the finisher, and He's also everything in between when it comes to faith. If we're going to get faith, it is going to be God that gives us. But let me ask you a question: If God is the author and finisher of our faith, then whose fault is it if we don't have faith? Interesting question. At one point in Jesus' ministry, he was um, sleeping in the back of a boat, and he was rudely awakened by his disciples just because they were drowning. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was storming out, and the <laughs> the water was coming over the. A boat, and it was filling up with water and the disciples were afraid for their very lives and so they called out to Jesus. Jesus woke up, looked around and said, oh, we're about to die. He stands up, he calms the sea, and peace settles on the lake. And do you know what Jesus does after that? He then turns to his disciples and he says lovingly, where is your faith? What kind of question is that? How would you answer a question like that? If Jesus said to you, where is your faith, what would you say? Oh, I'm sorry, I left it at home. It's on the table, I was gonna bring it, but I just don't have it with me. Well, I mean, how do you possibly answer a question like that? And then in quick succession, he asked them two more questions. He says, why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? Why would Jesus ask these questions? What was the purpose of these questions? What was he trying to get them to think about? At another time, Jesus was walking on water at night. It was a windy night, and he was walking, and they saw him. And Peter, in a great uh, (laughs) exuberance of faith, said, Lord, let me come out to you. And Jesus says, okay. So so Peter took the leap of faith, got out of the boat, was walking towards Jesus. Everything was fine until at one point he lost sight of Jesus, and all of a sudden he began to realize the precariousness of his situation. Here he was in the middle of this lake with these waves all around him, and he couldn't swim. If anything happened, he was going to die. And all of a sudden, of course, his faith began to wane, and he began to sink. And he cried out to Jesus, and Jesus was instantly there, took him by the hand, and put him into the boat. And then, after all that happened, Jesus said lovingly, tenderly to Peter, Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Isn't that an interesting question? What was Jesus trying to say to to Peter? Why would he ask such a question? How do you answer such a question? Why did you doubt? Where is your faith? Why are you afraid? How is it that you have so little faith? Why was Jesus asking these questions? It had to be a very important reason. He wasn't just trying to uh, maliciously throw their lack of faith into their faces. He was trying to tell them something. He was trying to lovingly, gently help them to realize that they were the source of their faith problems. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And if we don't have faith, it's not his problem because we have to let him. God is willing and able and eager to author and finish our faith, but we have to do our part. There is a command in the scripture that says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. This is a command. It is an imperative, something that God is commanding us to do. Did you know there's also a command in the scriptures to say, have faith in God? Both of those are commands. We are commanded to love God with all of our heart and mind and soul, and we are commanded to have faith. And guess what? Neither one of these commands can we obey. We are not strong enough in ourselves to give ourselves love for God or love for others. And we are not strong enough in ourselves to give ourselves faith. So these are commands that we cannot possibly obey. But the good news is, every one of God's commands is a promise. It's backed by a promise. Because we know that only God can do it. Only God can do all of these things that he commands in us and through us and only we can let him. Every one of God's commands is a promise. So faith comes from God. It only comes from him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, but it doesn't come in a vacuum. It's very important that we understand our part in that faith-growing process, our role in that process. So in order to have strong faith, there are three things that we need, and each of these three things requires collaboration with God. The first thing that we need in order to have strong faith is confidence that God can bless us. In other words, we need to know that he has the power to do what we're asking him. The father who came to Jesus with his demon-possessed boy at Mount Transfiguration, he said, if you can, please heal my son. And Jesus said, if you can? All things are possible to him who what? Who believes. And that's when the father says, oh Lord, I believe, please help my unbelief. And that's when God was able to heal the young man contrast this father's lack of belief with this this Syrian Phoenician woman's faith. She came to Jesus, and she also had a demon-possessed child, and she said, Lord, please heal my daughter. And Jesus said something about dogs and giving food to, you know. It really wasn't very nice. It didn't seem like what he said. But you know what what was amazing about this, this woman? She realized that God had so much faith, that Jesus had so much power that all she needed was crumbs. Jesus had so much power to heal that all she needed was crumbs. And she said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She had great faith in God's ability, his power, to the extent that all she needed for her daughter to be healed was just crumbs. That's great faith. Paul tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Because as we read scripture and as we we learn more and more about the love of God and about the power of God in the stories, we see how he's actually working powerfully in people's lives, that actually increases our faith. But we need more than just reading. We also have to experience God. We have to uh, see him working. We have to experience his love, his gentleness, and his powerful work in our lives. We see this in the example of Naaman. Naaman was a pagan general, did not know or or love or care about God. And this little girl said to him, Hey, there is somebody in Israel who can heal you. The God of Israel can heal you. And, you know, Naaman says, Okay, maybe this is true, maybe this isn't. He didn't have great faith at that point, but he decided to check it out. And as he was in that river, dipping seven times, his faith was growing, so that by the point when he came out that seventh time, He had the faith that let God heal him and that faith, that experiential faith, actually transformed his life both physically and spiritually. God never asks us to believe without giving us sufficient evidence upon which to base our faith. His existence, his character, the truthfulness of his word are all established by testimony that appeals to our reason and this testimony is abundant. Yet God has never removed the possibility of doubt. Our faith must rest upon evidence, not demonstration. That's an important distinction. Our faith based on evidence, but not demonstration. Those who wish to doubt will have opportunity, while those who really desire to know the truth will find plenty of evidence on which to rest their faith. So, the first requirement... To have, to have great faith is to have confidence that God can bless us, and the second requirement is to have confidence that God wants to bless us, that God loves us, and he's longing to bless us. We need both confidence that he can and confidence that he wants to. Those are two import, incredibly important things in this faith process. <clears throat> the devil doesn't care if we have complete faith in God's power. I mean, the, de- the demons have that. But he doesn't want us to have faith in God's love. That he will use that power to bless even you and me. One day, a leper came and he bowed down before Jesus and he said these faith filled words Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In other words, this leper had wonderful faith that God, that Jesus could heal him. But he wasn't so sure that that Jesus was willing. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can. So he had the great confidence in God's power, but not necessarily as much, power, much confidence in God's willingness. Can you imagine what this, young, this man must have felt as he knelt before Jesus and says, Lord, I know that you can heal me of my leprosy, but I don't know if you want to. I don't know if you're willing to. If you're willing to, if you're only willing to, you can. And can you imagine how that man felt when Jesus responded, I am willing Those three words was all the man needed to hear because he knew that Jesus could heal him. He just needed to know if he was willing to. And when Jesus says, I am willing, he knew that he was going to be healed. And those words was able to transform his life. Knowing God's will is a a great faith booster. But what if we don't know God's will? We don't always know God's will. In fact, sometimes it seems like we very rarely do. The Bible never promises us some things. There are a lot of things that the Bible does promise us, but it doesn't always promise us that things will go the way we want them to go. It doesn't always promise, them, promise us that things will go easily for us. In fact, you remember the story of the uh, Daniel's three friends and the fiery furnace? They were threatened by death, and um, after that threat, they responded to the king, and they said this, Our God, whom we serve, is able... In other words, God has the power. They believed that. They had confidence that God had the power to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So they had great faith in God's ability to heal them or to save them. And they had some faith that God was wanting to. But they weren't sure what God's plan was. And so they continued. They said, but... Even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, we have great faith that God can heal us, or save us, but we're not quite sure what his plan is. And, and no matter what his plan is, we're happy with it. We're not going to serve any other god, we're going to serve him no matter what his plan is. That's faith. So that's what we can do when we, don't have, um, when we don't have foresight into what God's specific plan is. We can trust his heart. We can know that he is going to do the best thing, that, he is, that his plan is good and perfect, and we can be content with that, even if we don't know exactly how that is gonna, going to work out in our own life. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, we can have confidence that God's will is always to bless us. Always. God always wants the good thing. And he can make anything. He can make death in a fiery furnace. He can make anything work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So that is enhancing our faith. Even though we don't necessarily always know what God's will is, we do know that God always works things out for good for those who love him. And are called according to his purpose. Habakkuk realized this, this uh, concept. He didn't know what God's will was. He, didn't, he realized that things weren't always going to be easy, but he said, I will be faithful until death. This is what he said, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. My friends, it's not lack of faith to not know God's plans. In fact, it can be presumption to think that we do know God's plans. It can be presumption to think that we know what God should do. In everything, we know that God has a plan. And our job in faith is not to try to figure out what that plan is. It's to just uh, surrender to that plan. To let God do what he wants to do his way. And that is something we can always have great confidence in. This is a wonderful prayer by a guy named Pastor Drew Williams, he shared on the internet one time, Lord, I know you can, I pray you would, your will be done. Isn't that a great, great prayer? That's a prayer we can always, always pray. Lord, I know you can, I pray that you would, but your will be done. That's a prayer we can all pray. So. God can bless us is something we need to have confidence in, and we also need to have confidence that God wants to bless us. Those are two of the three things that we must have in order to have faith. The third thing that we need is confidence that we are letting God bless us. Because of our power of choice, we can keep God from blessing us. We can hold up an umbrella so that the showers of blessings don't reach us, we can resist God. And God doesn't always get his way. You know, a lot of times when we talk about God answering our prayers, we think that he answers them in one of three ways. Either he says yes, or he says no, or he says wait, right? Those are the three ways we often think of God answering our prayers. But there is another way. Sometimes, and perhaps fairly often, he needs to say sorrowfully, Oh, if only I could. We have great faith in God's power. We have great faith in God's love. But we're not letting him. We're holding up that umbrella, and we're keeping God from showering us with his blessings. Oh, that we would just take that umbrella down and let him drench us with his goodness. But by nature, we resist God. And sometimes God has to say, I hear your prayer. I would love to answer it, if only you would let me. This is what happened to the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus confident that God could save him. He came to Jesus confident that God wanted to save him. But he walked away sad because he was not willing to let God save him. He was not willing to let God do what it took. A professor at one of our colleges once took an informal survey of his students and he asked them two questions. He said, Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and your Savior? And the second question is, Do you have the assurance of salvation? Two very important questions. And this is the response that he got. 90% of those students said that they believed that Jesus was their savior and the savior of the world, but only 10% of those students said they had the assurance of salvation. How could this happen? How could it happen that they knew that God could save them, that that God wanted to save them, he was the savior of the world, and yet so few had any confidence that they were actually saved? In that same survey, he asked them why that they responded the way they did. And this is what some of the people responded. One person says, I probably don't have it because I have a few things to make right with God. This person was recognizing that they were actually holding back. They were resisting God. They knew that Jesus could save them. They knew that God wanted to save them. They loved him, but they recognized that they were holding back. Another person said this, I know that I can have salvation now and that all people can, but I have not been living the life by which to obtain salvation. He knew that he was resisting God that he was like the rich young ruler, walking away sad because the world had too much attraction for them. Another person said this, I do not feel that I have salvation now because I still seem to love the world so much. I seem to be holding out my hands to him and asking him to pull me up, but when he reaches down for me, I pull away. In all these cases, these people knew that God was their savior, that God wanted to save them, but they didn't have confidence that he could save them because they realized that they were They were holding back, they were pulling away, they were resisting God. In order to have great faith in salvation, we need to have confidence that God can save us, that God wants to save us, and that we are letting God save us. Without all those three things, we will not have that assurance of salvation. So that was the students' problems. They had confidence that he could, and they wanted to, but not that they were letting him. But when we, by faith, give ourselves to God, When we take down the umbrellas and let him drench us with his goodness, we can have confidence that God is going to succeed in blessing us. The Apostle John tells us, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. When God is working powerfully through us, when His Holy Spirit is giving us victory over sin and helping us to keep His commandments, we can come boldly before the throne of God and say, Lord, you are in control of my life. And we can have confidence that He can save us, that He wants to save us, and that we are letting Him save us. Those are the three things. So in other words... In order to be faith-filled, we must be faithful to God. In order to be faith-filled, we must be faithful to God. And the opposite is also true. In order to be faithful, we must be faith-filled. They work together. It's like a spiral, an upward spiral. They work together. The reason why God's people are not more spiritual-minded and have no more faith, I have been shown, is because they are narrowed up with selfishness. It is not the abundance of your meetings that God accepts. It is not the numerous prayers, but the right doing. Doing the right thing and at the right time. It's when God works in us to produce that right doing in us that we can have confidence that we are spirit-filled and self-empty. That God is ruler of our life. That we are letting God be almighty God in us. In another place she writes this. In a divided, half-hearted life, you will find doubt and darkness. Do not sit down in Satan's easy chair of do little, but arise and aim at the elevated standard which it is your privilege to attain. It is a blessed privilege to give up all for Christ. Isn't that so true? It is such a privilege to let God have our lives, to let him be responsible for us, to let him have all the power in our life, to let him be omnipotent in us, that is the power of God. So in order to have faith, we, have, we need to have three things. It's like a three-legged stool. We have to have all three of those things. If one of those legs is missing, it's not going to stand up. We need to have faith that God can bless us, that he wants to bless us, and that we are letting him bless us. And we have to remember that only God can do it. Only we can let him. It comes back to that basic principle. It seems like everything we talk about comes back to that basic principle, doesn't it? This is probably the most basic and most important principle of Christian life. This is righteousness by faith, right here. We recognize that only God can do it, no matter what it is, no matter what the good thing it is, only God can do it. Only God can give us faith. Only God can sanctify us. Only God can justify us. Only God can give us his Holy Spirit. Only God can give us victory over sin. Only God can fill in the blank. But it also comes down to our power of choice, Only you and I can let him. And it's the same way with faith. Only God can give us faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's longing to do this for us, but we have to let him. The disciples came to Jesus one day, and they said something just wonderful that must have just thrilled Christ's heart. He said, they said, increase our faith. You know, recently I read this as I was studying more about faith, and I was saying, oh, Oh, look, hey, this is it. This is where I'm going to find out how to grow in faith because here are these disciples asking Jesus to increase their faith and he is not going to let them down. He's going to help them and I want to see what Jesus says. And so I read the next part and you know what? I was actually um, surprised by his words in reply. He said, And the Lord said, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and and it would obey you. So here are his disciples coming and asking for more faith, and Jesus is telling them that they have little faith? They already knew that. What was Jesus trying to say? This is all he said. This is is his answer to that plea, increase our faith. What's that all about? What was Jesus trying to say here? It doesn't seem like he was being very helpful. In fact, it seems like he was actually ridiculing them for their, for their lack of faith. But they already knew that they had lack of faith. That was not going to help them. What was Jesus actually saying when he proclaimed, if you had the faith like a mustard seed? Well, you know, as I was studying this text, I began to realize that it doesn't say that they had small faith, that they should have small faith. He was saying that they should have faith like a mustard seed. What does that mean? What is faith like a mustard seed? Well, Christ's point, and he made this in other places in Scripture, he said the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, so our faith starts out small. But what, what's the characteristic of this mustard seed? Why is, it, why is he saying that we should be like a mustard seed? It's because even though it starts out the smallest seed, it becomes the largest of garden plants. That's God, Christ's point. He says your faith needs to grow like a mustard seed grows. So now all we need to understand is how does a mustard seed grow? Though the grain of mustard seed is so small, it contains that same mysterious life principle which produces growth in the loftiest tree. When the mustard seed is cast into the ground, the tiny germ lays hold of every element that God has provided for its nutriment, and it speedily develops a sturdy growth. If you have faith like this, you will lay hold upon God's word and upon all the helpful agencies he has appointed. Thus your faith will strengthen and you will, and it will bring to your aid the power of heaven." In other words, if, we want to, if, the, if the mustard seed wants to grow, it's got to be put into the ground because the ground is where all the elements of its nutri- nutrition are. It has to be in the ground. It has to be buried in the ground before it can grow. And when it is buried into the ground, then all these nutrients are available to it and it's able to grow abundantly. And that's exactly how it is in the Christian life as well. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? Dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that's the same thing with the Christian life. That death is that surrender, that crucifixion of self, that dying in Jesus, that leap of faith into the arms of Christ. That's what that's talking about. Dying in Jesus, that first step of Baptism. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that's what Jesus was telling the disciples. If you want faith, you must be like a mustard seed. You must be willing to be planted in the earth to die to self. And you must be willing to take advantage of every element that is provided for your nutrition. Jesus was not telling them that they had small faith. They already knew that. He was not teaching them to try harder to be more faith-filled. Instead, he was showing them the way to great faith, was to let themselves be planted in the earth, let themselves die in Jesus, so that they could have access to all these nutrients that they needed in order to grow. He was actually leading them to surrender, showing them the way to great faith. And it's the same thing for you and I. He's showing us the the way to great faith by that same surrender. To die and to be buried in Jesus, The author and perfecter of our faith is the key to great faith. Faith only comes from God. It only can come from God. He is able to give us faith. He longs to give us faith. And now all we have to do by our power of choice is to let him give us faith. Let him surrender us wholly to him so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is faith. I like the way Martin Luther puts it. God created the world out of nothing. And so long as we are nothing, he can make something out of us. Isn't that so true? It's that emptiness of ourself that lets him do his wonderful work. In our weakness, he is strong. So, if God appeared to me in a dream, like he did to Solomon so many years ago, and if he offered me just one wish, do you know what I would wish for? I would wish that I might be perfectly surrendered to Jesus. That I might give my life in every detail to to God, that the Holy Spirit may be absolute control of my life, that self would be destroyed, that God would be the king of my life. I would ask for unreserved, unresisting, unrelenting and irretrievable surrender because once I have that one thing, everything else comes in its train. When we let God empty us of ourself, he fills us with the Holy Spirit and everything comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God living and dwelling in us. Through the right exercise of the will, an entire change may be made in your life. By yielding up your will to Christ, you ally yourself with the power that is above all principalities and powers. You will have strength from above to hold you steadfast. And thus, through constant surrender to God, you will be enabled to live the new life, even the life of faith. I once attended a faith and learning conference where I presented a paper and the conference was held on a cruise ship. I know, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it, right? So this conference was being held on a cruise ship and I was going off to my meetings one day and my family decided to visit the local art auction that was taking place on the cruise ship. And um, afterwards my wife told me all about it and she was saying, "You know, this poor guy, here he was trying to get these people to spend exorbitant amounts of money for things they really didn't need. And she said, but he had an interesting technique. This is what this salesperson did, who was trying, or said, who was trying to sell these paintings to these people. He said this, if you want something you've never had, you may need to do something you've never done. Now when it comes to buying art, that's laughable. But you know, in the Christian life, this is actually very profound and it's very true. If you want something you've never had, you may need to do something you've never done. For the first 44 years of my life, I never had victory in Jesus. I never had a love for him. I never relished him. I never had that conversion. And it came down at one point in my life to this decision. If I wanted something that I'd never had, that conversion experience, that new life, I would have to do something I had never done before, and that is let God take my life that I would have to give myself wholly to him, unreservedly, for the first time in my, my life, give him all my choices. My friends, it's so true. If you want something you've never had, you may need to do something you've never done. And yet it is so hard for us to do that. The devil wants it, is doing anything he possibly can to keep us from surrendering our lives to Jesus. And he's succeeding very well. That's why we have the and lukewarm condition of our church. That's why we are so desperately need, in need of revival and reformation. But my friends, each one of us personally can be revived and reformed right now. It's just a matter of a choice. It's a choice to let God plant us in the ground. To bury us in Jesus. But we have to die in order for that to happen. And once we are buried in Jesus, we have access to all the nutrients that we need to grow. Our faith will grow like a mustard seed. The Holy Spirit will come and fill us and he'll give us all the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and all the other fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, they all come from him. But it all comes down to this one thing. Are we willing? Are we willing to let God have all of our life for him to be king of every choice in every area of our life all the time? Do you have great faith? Do you want great faith? The key is surrender. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for this thing called faith, this belief in the unseen, this confidence in you, in your love, in your power. And Father, we pray that you will help us to use our power of choice to let you be Almighty God in us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of surrender, the privilege that lets you be king of our lives, that lets you be responsible for us, for all of our problems, for all of our faults, for all of our failures, that you can be responsible for taking and getting us where you want us to be. Thank you so much, Father, for the privilege of surrender. I pray that each one of us will let you do whatever it takes to get us to that place and to keep us there safely in your arms. We pray for these things. and We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse